1: All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com
2: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode A Fan of History. Hello oh, Dan. Hello, Bernie. Here we are again. And it's fun as always. It is. And we're getting into China. And I'm getting there, guys. I really am. I, I I'm really been digging into the Chinese history in the spring and autumn period, and I'm gonna really try to really get this down for you guys. The, 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 wor- the, um, the names, they're still tricky because they're hard to pronounce. They sound the same and the people change their names in between. And then sometimes translations are different, but I'm kind of starting to get my hand around this. So we have a battle here today and we're going to talk a little about Chinese history, spring and autumn period in the 580s. Today's battle that we're going to get into is called mostly called the Battle of An. Sometimes I've seen it called the Battle of Key. I've even seen it called the Battle of the Squirrel, the Scorpion, the Hill, all these names. Very confusing.
3: I love the Battle of the Squirrel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of those in my old office. Yeah, squirrels. But... You ever get a squirrel in your house? They're the worst.
3: I bet. <laughs> I had a friend who just accepted uh, a squirrel in his home. He just really? didn't didn't get it out, and then it gave birth oh so he had like baby squirrels running around in his bookcase and he loved it and it became a great store on instagram
2: oh well good for him i hope it doesn't get too out of hand they got pretty and
3: yeah, they were like uh, squirrel squirrel poop everywhere
2: yeah that's the thing man they smell after a while yeah
3: and, and then they left when uh, the kids were big enough
2: Or well, just left the house or the squirrels left
3: yeah the squirrels left
2: oh that was nice of them it's like a, like a little
3: yeah. like a children's book yes <laughs> he was uh, quite happy with it actually
2: I yeah uh, was a good little experience yeah well I'm not going to take up on that one and that and I only heard it's saw it called the Battle of squirrel one so okay but before we get into the Battle of the squirrel or the Battle of Anne and um I'm gonna just we're gonna do a little teaser about how we do what's new in history because I found this um little news a new dig a new Find in Chinese history. Instead of doing a full episode, it's sort of like a promo for that. We're going to give you some information about this find in China. They found a um, a five thousand year old house in this dig in China, and they're they're archaeologists working at this Yangshou village. It's in central China's Henan province. They found a five thousand year old house. They found a ceremonial jade axe, and they found evidence of infrastructure. That shows that this village had was a military power. And now remember, this is five thousand years ago. So this is three thousand BC. Wow. Three thousand BC in Chinese history is like real old in Chinese history. You know, it's it's not like Mesopotamian history, which of course is old. But you know, in Egypt and stuff, we sort of have more writing and we have more information. So this is like really Chinese prehistory.
3: Yeah, I remember when we did the timeline of world history as a series. And uh, we talked about early Chinese writing. That was a thing that could have been a very local thing. But uh, given that they didn't have writing for the entire area, I bet a lot of things were happening in China. Right. In 3000 BC, but we don't really know what it
2: was. Right. A lot of exciting things, I'm sure. Except through archaeology. Exactly. And then, you know, it's funny, because I'm glad you mentioned that, because this dig was actually started in 1921, and this, they've been working on it, you know, since then kind of. But re- it's basically like this is one of the first archaeological digs ever in China. And that's 1921. And then we you know a lot of stuff went on in China between 1921 and today. You know, there are two, uh, I should say, the wor- you know the World War. Yeah. Huge revolution. So there wasn't like archaeology wasn't like top of mind, you know. It wasn't a lot of like, like in these other places, there wasn't a lot of German, French, and English uh, archaeologists, you know, traipsing around like these other places they were since the you know, early 1800s. Yep. I mean, they were digging up in Egypt in the late 1700s, so there's probably, we're probably going to find a lot of stuff about China over it because, you know, as China becomes more d- developed and they wanna, they're going to want to know their own history.
3: I, I just saw a documentary on the Great Wall of China and it seems that the, the current government is uh, pretty high on archaeology and finding out things about ancient China. Whereas the Communist Party earlier in the Mao days, they sort of hated ah, old stuff. Yeah. Because it represented the old oppressive China.
2: Yeah, I could believe that. They're probably going to do, you know, get their history together. I've actually been using a channel on YouTube that's Chinese. It's English. It's in English. It's Chinese movies and documentaries. and But it's, I think it's put out by the Chinese government. So okay. it's definitely history, you know, but, you know, they're going to... I mean, you could say what you want about what happened 3,000 B.C. to it. It's not going to really affect you, you know, and say, oh, we're a bunch of jerks because we did this in 3,000 B.C. So, yeah, they've been excavating the site, and they, they think it's, um, this, it's, a, it's a part of a culture along the middle parts of the Yellow River. It's from really like 5,000 B.C. to 3,000 B.C., so it represents the longest-lasting prehistoric culture in China. And only they, like you said, they can only get stuff from this archaeological dig. But they found. And we, oh, we
3: should also remember that uh, 3,000 BC uh, on the Yellow River is probably the best place to be in the world. When we started this podcast, I made the claim that half of the world's population could be in China. Yeah. So this is great farming country in 3,000 BC.
2: Yeah. And the Central Plains is what they would they be fighting over all this time too where the the Zhou are and stuff.
3: It's at least as good as Mesopotamia. Yeah. Or the Nile. Yeah. Yeah,
2: for sure. So it's the place to be. It is one of them anyway, for sure. That's the place to be in China, that's for sure. Yeah, probably the world. Could be. I'll go with you. So one of the other things that's cool about this dig is, you mentioned it before about the writing, the the geometric paintings on the, the clay vessels are some of the earliest evidence of the evolution of Chinese calligraphy. Yeah. It's it's yeah you know, it's sort of these designs are they're abstract and they don't constitute a written language but the patterns, the motifs and the use of paint it all adds to the to experts understanding of the environment that would eventually start the creation of Chinese symbols. So these are like proto Chinese symbols on the on these pottery that they found in this dig. Nice. Yeah. They were, these these people were like semi nomadic. They used slash and burn agriculture. Um, they were, but they were good potters. They even dabbled in silk production. So these new discoveries from this Yangshao village, they affirmed that the village had a large population and also had defensive capabilities because they had artificial trenches that they found. In the article, they say that these discoveries are the most significant finds since the first excavation of this village in the 1920s. So they've been digging on this, you know, for almost 100 years, obviously with some spots, you know stops in between but they, they just found some really good stuff so now you know amazing yeah now we're going to go into the to the chinese more recent chinese history and, if it's okay. and the battle of the squirrel in the battle of the squirrel that so what happened is these two squirrels came into my office no no <laughs> in 589 bc yeah, 589 b it feels like 589 bc that was in about 20 years ago when i had a different office and a different business partner Anyway, oh, my God, though, I came in, the squirrels destroyed my office. I cleaned it. The next day, they came in and did it again. <laughs> and he was hiding under the couch, and I look under the couch, and there's those two squirrel eyes looking at me. They're like, squirrel! <laughs> so I, I feel like I've been doing these, this podcast for a couple of years, and every time I get into the Chinese history, I get confused, and we say Duke and, and King and all this stuff. And So I've been really spending the last couple of months uh, trying to really understand this better. And there's not there's not a lot of sources in English. There, there are sources, and I'm going to really try to get. There's the Spring and Autumn Journals, which is the the journals of the state of Lou. Um, I haven't really been able to find them in English. I, I did find a book. I could order it. I, I like to get it online, so I could sort of use it that way. But I'm going to be on that. So, But I think I could sum up, in a real high level, where we're at now, so it makes this battle not just like you know, hang out of the, just hanging there, even some of the other battles we did. So if you bear with me, I'm just going to try to sum up the spring and autumn period where we are till now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I
0: asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game, and it's good for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals
2: like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Back and way back in 770 BC, and I listened to your episode on that. I wasn't co-hosting then. That's episode 47. Do you remember that? The Western Joe, that was when the capital was sacked.
3: Yeah, that was when the Joe the dynasty lost their power but right. retained the kingship.
2: Correct, and they were sort of losing their power then, which is why it got sacked. But so even go back a little further, when the Zhou Zho, and this is for a second, the Zhou came in in 1050 when they conquered the Shang. So because of that, they were always a little like worried about Shang loyalists. So that's why they kept giving these fiefdoms to other nobles that were part of the Zhou, and they would keep they were moving out throughout China, you know, and just setting up these other fiefdoms. That's why there's so many different little areas and we call them dukes. And at the time, they also to do that, they instituted all kinds of these rituals and rules of etiquette. And it was even accompanied to music. It was very specific rituals. If you remember we had the nine cauldrons, only the king could could do sacrifices in the nine cauldrons, or they're called ding. And and that's one of the, the rituals have a lot to do with ancestor worship and sacrifice and different things. So You know, nobles could have seven cauldrons and so forth, but the king, like, could have nine. And there was all kind of other things, basically like OCD stuff, where the ritual, like the king had to stand on this thing when he greeted the dukes, and just very, very formal things like that. And that's what kept, and they were called the rites of the Zhou, rites of Zhou, and that provided a comprehensive guide for the behavior of the emperor and the aristocracy. And so that's what these other countries did. Countries, you know, areas like when we talk about Qi and Qi and Wei and Wu and all these places. They if you you know, if you sort of subscribe to the rites of Zhao, then you're a part of the system. So and Confucius that's where Confucius Confucianism comes from is these rites of Zhao Zhou, because that was that's Confucianism to follow on the tradition and the and the rites. And remember I mentioned Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu he's coming soon and he's like he's against all that ritual. So this this stage in Chinese history Though it seems like there's not much information, it's confusing. This is where Chinese history, like where Chinese culture, civilization kind of co- starts coalescing into what we have today because Confucianism is still very important in China so, as is Taoism and, you know, some other things. So anyway, so we had the, the capital sacked in 770. That was the guy, he cried wolf and then his, because of his concubine, so then they sacked the capital. So that's when they lost their power. They started giving out these fiefdoms to everybody, and but because the king wasn't very powerful, the dukes just started gobbling up other states. And the Zhao kings couldn't do it. The Zhou kings couldn't do anything about it. So now coming back into my time in the podcast, back in the six eighties, right? That was when we. That was my first um, my first episodes that we did four years ago. Four years ago, before the pandemic and everything. And that was it. Was great. That was such a great story. It was that that was Duke Zhuan. and if you remember, he he had the um, he had the assassin try to uh, the, the there was a boar, and then he had um, Guan Zhang as his minister that was going to get pickled, and he didn't. So he had his minister, and he became the first hegemon, and he was from Qi, the state of Qi, 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 and so. They were they were like a Zhao ethnically Zhao people, and so by being the most powerful state at that time, then they were basically like the ruler of the kingdom of all the different states, right? Because they were the most powerful, and he had a battle against Chu, and Chu is important because when all those times when I kept saying king instead of duke, I, t- I technically wasn't wrong because the because Chu he is the king because Chu is not. Part of the Zhou nobles, they're a different ethnicity. They're like a different country almost, but they're part of the system. So it's very—it's a little—it's very confusing. But by, by sort of subscribing to the rights of Zhou, then that makes them part of the system. But they're not technically like part of the royal family like these other states, and they're in the south, and they just keep getting stronger and stronger. That's why we keep having these battles with the Chu. It's always seems like it's this one, this one, this one, and it's Chu. This one is and Chu. Well that's why. Chu is kinda like almost an enemy but not an enemy. It's really funny. Because the main enemies are the barbarians that are on the outskirts and then Chu as another country. So every time Chu sort of gets uppity, that's when the hegemon has a battle against Chu. So we had in six fifty we had a battle against Chu with um with Duke Wan, right? And then there was a multi-state conference. So that was a big deal. That was the first hegemons. And so they decided, you know, that Key is the protector of the realm. Chu is, you know, sort of part of the deal here. But they're not um, going to, you know, try to take over the kingship.
3: So could could you say that Chu is somewhat like Macedonians were before Alexander the Great?
2: Yes. So they were like Greeks,
3: but not entirely accepted as Greeks? Yes, they were. But this is all of the southern China plain, pretty much. uh, Yes. With Wuhan pretty much in the middle. I'm looking at the map right now.
2: Yeah, if you look at the map, and that's why we keep saying, like, remember, Chu's always attacking Zheng or Song, because the Zhou is, like, right in the central plains. So the states that get stronger, like, Jin and uh, Qi, and then later, Qin. (laughs) And Wu, like, they're on the outskirts, not in that center battleground. And they have area to keep expanding. Like, the, you know, the Jin could expand north. The Qin could expand east or west, I should say. The Chu could expand south. But in the central plains there, the Zhou doesn't have any more territory, and they don't have any more territory to give. So before 770, they kept giving territory. So they were able to, you know, that was basically like sending their agents out, and they were expanding their territory that way. But then, when they had no more territory to give, they lost their power, and so that's where they're, it's kind of like Dune, also. You know, where there's all these houses, that the emperor is not really that powerful.
3: We should perhaps also mention that this entire area we call China at this time is uh, roughly a fifth of today's China. Yeah, but it's the good part.
2: Yes, right. <laughs> it's the good part. It's a part where all the, the climate is good, and the fur, the soil is good, and there's, you know, there's copper to be dug and jade and all these things. So yeah, remember Chu? Remember when the guy from Chu he said, um, "How much do the Ding weigh? Do the, do the Ding weigh?" And it was sort of an uppity thing to say, but it's also he it was probably like actually going to take them. You know, he's like, "How much do they weigh?" Because I'm going to get them and I'm going to be the king. And then there was that time where Chu wore they wore their helmets in the city, and they aren't supposed to do that. So Chu are kind of like, yeah, Macedonians is the perfect way to put it. The Perfect way to put it. So. Right. So we had Duke Wan and then he starved remember he had the eunuchs <laughs> the eunuchs gone wild and then he starved to death in his uh, in his room and they found the maggots wiggling under his door. So then his brother his sons all fought for, you know, the throne, well the dukedom of of Qi Qi. And then they weren't powerful anymore. So they were really no longer the hegemonic state. And then we had Chonger so he's the one who was on the on the road for all those years. And he had spent time in Chu also, which is interesting. And he was on the road for, I forget how many, 20-some years. And he picked up all those ministers. He had the one minister who ate his, he let him eat his thigh.
3: Yeah, I remember that.
2: Yeah, you love that one. And I recently found out that it was in a soup. So he didn't make him like a thigh filet. He put it in a soup for him. Oh, good. So, yeah, that was good. <laughs> so... So he's in like the six thirties, and if you remember, we had the Battle of Chengpu, and that's the one where that's the one where Chu was defeated. They had the tiger skins and the cloud of smoke. They did all that. And then so that was that was Jin. That was Jin against Chu. And though Jin for about eighty years is the hegemonic state. And then just recently we had uh, Chu beat Jin in a battle. That's where they had to teach the Jin soldiers how to how to um, how to retreat. So, and that's one where I kept saying king and getting it mixed up. But so actually, the king is in Chu, right? <laughs> I see. Right. We're yeah. allowed to say that because they are not really dukes. And it's always Chu that's saying. So then Chu beat Jin in that battle. So now that's sort of like, a, oh, that's, that's, now Jin is sort of losing their power a little bit. But they're
3: still the hegemon at this point.
2: Yeah, at this point, they still are. But they're weak hegemons. They're weakening. And then there's a big thing going to happen with Jin. In, in and in, I'm not sure when. You know, I just try not to get too far ahead. But there's a huge thing happening with Jin. And that's why I kind of want to get us all to this point and really explain it so that when this does happen, it's not like, oh, what's Jin? Is that the same as Qin Wu? And, you know, these names get us confused.
3: Oh well, it seems a bit
2: clearer to me now. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And basically, there's four main states, and they, they keep cobbling up these little ones. There's Jin, there's Chu, there's Q-I, Qi, and there's chin and they're all on the periphery around and those are the strongest ones that keep gobbling up these little states and joe the, the the joe capital is in the center yeah that's where i have it so now we're at 589 and we're gonna have a battle and it's not Chu, which is you want to hear what happened when I, I do you guys know about chat gpt what's that it's a, it's like a new big thing it's like a it's um it's a i Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard right? about that. So you could ask questions and it gives you answers and stuff. So I was like, this is great because I'm reading, like, translated Chinese, you know, websites that are unbelievably hard to understand because just, you know, direct translated from Google is just, I asked ChatGPT, and this is, you know, the, the Battle of Anne. I said, what's the Battle of Anne? And you know what it told me? Just like it was like one of those guys, you know, that knows what they're talking about and sounded so right. It said the Battle of Anne was fought in Anatolia between – Babylonia and the Lydians. And I was like, what? Let me see. And I'm looking up. I find no such a thing. So I said, where's the city of Anne? It says, ah, we don't really know. It's hard to tell. Like, literally bullshitting me. <laughs> <laughs> so I go on the web. I go, I look at the Wikipedia article on the Battle of Anne, which is like two sentences. And it says it's in China. And I said, what about this? And it says, sorry, you're right. The Battle of Anne was fought in China. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> So sure, and and I, I told that story to Sai, and he goes, "Yeah, they told me that the Library of Ashurbanipal was in Babylon." <laughs> so let me tell you, if you guys want to learn history, come to Fan of History, not ChatGPT. Well, uh, I I
3: am a master of science in computer science, and I was specialized in AI. Okay, and I'm not afraid of the singularity. No, no, because <laughs> computers are so stupid.
2: Right. I I even asked it. I have a Google like thing, the the Googles, you know, and I'm always fighting with it. I'm like, what? But yeah, it's pretty amazing though. So I did what I did do. I will tell you. I took the all the translations that I've been reading through and reading through, and I put it in. I said, could you like, you know, organize this a little better for me? And it didn't do too bad. So, but yeah, you're right. I'm not afraid of the singularity either. Here it is. The Battle of the Squirrel. The Battle of the Squirrel. Let's do it. So. It's, this was fought in 589 B.C., and it's um, it was in the Hua Hill in the area of the present-day city of Jinan in the Shandong province. And this was between the states of Qi and Jin. And, you know, this is all legendary stuff, too, so I think it's probably just made up later. But it seems it was—because Qi and Jin don't usually fight. So what they kind of say is that there was a— this is more of like a fight because of honor, because maybe they were insulted at the court. And the one that was funny, though, they said that one of the insults was like the four ministers were served dinner by four serving people that had the same physical deformities as they had. And and if I ever find it, I'll, I'll let you guys know, because I don't know what the physical deformities are, but maybe something like, you know, one guy had a big nose, so then the server had a big nose. And then maybe one guy had a limp, then the server had a limp. And so... They felt that that was like an insult, and so a battle ensued. You know, they started a fight over it. And Qi and Jin are
3: right to the north of these small central states. Correct. And they border each other. Correct. And they don't normally fight each other. So. So they're like the two powerful states correct. right north of the middle cluster of smaller states.
2: Correct. That is correct. And this hill is pretty cool. It's a big hill. You can go there today. It's a um. It's a tourist site. There's these, you could take the, there's different ways you can go up. And there's one known as a soldier's trail. And it's got like two or 3,000 steps. They could be up like an 80% you know, incline. That's pretty oh. amazing. So what happened in this battle was, so uh, Qi is the one who started it. They took their army and they went to, they actually you know, tried to invade Lu and Wei. So when, the, when Lu and Wei sought help from Jin, the Jin rallied their forces and brought 800 chariots to their aid. We're getting to like the, the, the most number of chariots in, in these Chinese fighting. We'll talk about them later. There's some peace conferences actually that come up in the next decades. So the day before the battle, I'm going to, have to skip the names. One of the commanders in the Jin army had a dream in which his father warned him not to stand on both sides of the chariot because he would be vulnerable to attack. So not either side, basically. Don't stand on either side. So he stood in the middle. So during the battle, um, this other guy who was a, a driver for the Chi, for the he recognized the guy who was standing in the middle as a gentleman, and he didn't want to shoot him, so he shot at him, but he shot to the left and the right so that he didn't kill him. So that's why his dream told him to stay in the center. So we get a lot of that stuff. Also, the, before the battle, the Chi um, the army didn't have breakfast, because they were so confident they were going to win, that they just didn't have breakfast and said, "You know, well, this will be over quick." And I guess they were hungry, and that didn't help them. So, the the the, the key lost, and the Jin won, of course. And the the main general of the um, so the so the the main general of the key army was overtaken by the Jin army, and then one of his subordinates, right, pretended that he was not like the general and he ordered him, he said, go fetch some water to the guy, you know, make it look like he was a soldier. And then that guy, the general, he escaped. So that was a story about how the, you know, the subordinate helped his general escape. Clever. Yeah. And but the, after this battle, Chi and Jin didn't fight anymore. They became really close allies. I think they had like a, you know, they decided that that was not a good idea. They shouldn't be fighting. But mostly, they're got to fight against the Chu, and at the same time, the Chu formed an alliance with many of the other states, and they, you know, placed it firmly as part of the Zhou system. They were agreed to, you know, honor the rights of the Zhou, and this is basically like just a big dysfunctional family now because the Chu are, you know, not ethnically uh, Zhou. But these other states also have a lot of the barbarians in it. Like if you remember 'er, Chonger, he was like half barbarian, you know, in quotation marks. And the Chu has taken up some of the um, Zhou states. So they have Zhou ethnicity in it. But they also have these, you know, southern barbarians. And it's just a big, you know, mishmash of different ethnicities, let's say.
1: All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.
4: If you're updating your closet for summer, you need dependable clothes that you can wear anywhere, whatever you're doing. And for that, you can look to American Giant. American Giant makes clothing of exceptional quality for people who want something more than the status quo offers. Whether you need to re-up on reliable everyday t-shirts Pick up a solid pair of shorts or invest in a pair of durable jeans. American Giant is a better choice. They make everything right here in the USA from start to finish. So when you buy from American Giant, you become part of creating jobs and improving local communities in towns and cities all across the country. And keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Shop your new summertime closet staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com with promo code WA23.
2: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts.
1: Here's a show that we recommend. wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Acast helps creators launch,
2: grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com It's funny because we just think they're all Chinese, but they're really different ethnicities at this time. All of them will be Han Chinese eventually. Exactly, exactly. And then... That, so they had this so now and this is right after this battle that you know Chu formed this big alliance so i'm pretty sure that's why these other two you know Qi and Jin they, they decided they needed to not be fighting each other so one last thing this is a little thing to happen but it's going to have ramifications later in 583 a former Chu minister he sought refuge in Jin and he must have gotten trouble there and he had a good idea he suggested that Jin give support to Wu which is located in the south, like Chu. So they are, they are to the east of uh, Chu and have a long border with them. So he said, you know, you should um, support them, you know, make them sort of like your proxy, give them, a, you know, help them get weapons, you know, train them, that kind of thing. And so now Chu is eventually going to have a little thorn on their side right next to them, maybe help stop them causing so much trouble.
3: Yeah, Vu is pretty much uh, close to the southern coast. Right. Based around Shanghai and Nanking. Yes. So these if you go further south in today's China, that's the southern hills on this map. So like Guangzhou and stuff that's far outside China at this point.
2: Okay. Oh yeah, I see it.
3: Yeah, so Hong Kong is far away from China.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's still further south. Yeah. So yeah. So you could see if you look at a map, you'll see that Wu and Chu, they they share a pretty big border. And Wu is one of those non-Zhou states, too. Okay. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Yeah, that's where we're at in China.
3: It seems a lot clearer now.
2: Thanks. Clear as mud, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Good. Yeah, we, we
3: are ready for uh, the 570s.
2: We're going to be ready for the 570s. i gotta really going to have to dig in.
3: Yes, but we have time, so we'll do a great job.
2: We will. I will. All right. You just put me on pressure. So, <laughs> you know, check out our Facebook page, our Patreon. I appreciate our Patreon. I appreciate all you guys. Oh, how about a word from our sponsor, uh, Table of Gods? Make sure you get, get on the waiting list to check that book when it comes out, Aram's book. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was amazing.
3: on the Swedish morning news. Yeah. Sh- showing off his cooking skills.
2: He's pretty good, too.
3: On uh, state television.
2: Yeah. His YouTube channel is pretty good. I think he might have a career as a YouTuber. They're pretty. Oh. They're, they're amazing. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we had him on before he became famous.
2: Yes, right. We'll say we knew him when. Yeah. So, all right, Dan. That's the end of the five eighties. I can't believe it. I think we've been going on them for a while. Yeah. Now to the five seventies. On to the five seventies. And make sure you also check out our other podcasts. What's new in history? I'm having a lot of fun with them. Yes. Well, anything else to add? Yeah, I
3: wanted to mention uh, something I mentioned before, but I have now recorded four episodes for the new Swedish History Podcast. Huh. Uh, it will be in Swedish then, but I know about 35-40% of you guys are Swedes, probably from my other Swedish podcasts, but this will be an entirely Swedish podcast called Historien Nördarpodden. Wow. And it will be hosted by myself and uh, Cornelia Boberg. And we will uh, skip around in history. It will not be like Fan Histories. we will cover separate things in every episode.
2: I'm so jealous. Well, once ChatGPT could, could translate like immediately, uh, I'll listen to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the good
3: stuff from it. And we'll probably steal some stories from fano History as well. Uh, I'm thinking mainly of Hanno right now, because I really liked his story.
2: Oh, so it's not just going to be Swedish history, it's going to be history in Swedish.
3: Yes, it's going to be history in Swedish. Oh,
2: nice. Okay. Of these four
3: episodes, we have done uh, maybe one with Swedish history, and the others are we've done Death in the Victorian Era, and we, I I can't remember what we have done.
2: We have done uh, Did Jesus Exist <gasps> as a Real Person. That's my fa- I wanted to listen to that one. Oh, my God. I want to do that one with you in English.
3: And we will also do an episode on the death of the dinosaurs. Which, oh, wow. You're going so way we, back. We, are, we are going way back in history. As well. <laughs> we'll probably do an episode on the Boring Billion as well. Have what? you heard of the Boring Billion? No. no. It's a billion years of Earth's history where absolutely nothing happens, at least that is the the common story of the boring billion. It's like roughly 1.5 billion years ago to half a billion years ago, Hmm. there were pretty much the, the plate tectonics stopped and life didn't develop any further before the Cambrian explosion. So we had a billion years where absolutely nothing happened on the earth. Wow.
2: <laughs> it must be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: And it's called The Boring Billion. I love that name. That's great, though. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't hear that either. That right. name well, it doesn't hangs.
3: translate to Swedish at all, so it would probably call The Boring Billion. But But Historian Nördapodden coming to your podcast apps at some point during 2023.
2: Oh, congratulations on that. And That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it will be fun. Yeah, sounds it. All right. Well, till next time, Dan. Till next time, Bernie. Cheers. Cheers.
4: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.